So without further delay, as Pastor Craig said, I'm going to be doing the last, uh, the last Ten Commandments, uh, which is you shall not covet. And here it goes. Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his maidservant or manservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So you know, covet is not a word that is used a lot today, but the concept of wanting what is not ours is well known. Whether it's careers, clothes, houses, salaries, talents, lifestyles, or cars, we want what other people have or what we don't have. For example, when I was young, I had curly hair, so I wanted straight hair. And then you had my cousin who had straight hair, he wanted curly hair. Even though we all have unique desires and we all like different things, we still look at what other people have. And it can sometimes influence our desires. But I'm sure you'd agree it would be a boring world if we all liked the same things. But covetousness is having a wrong desire for what other people have. But not all desires wrong. For example, belonging and security, comfort and safety, to be respected and looked up to, to be significant and loved for our meaning, for our life to have meaning. These are all things we need. From the moment we are born to the moment we die, but we are also aware that from the moment we are born, our desires are being molded by the world around us, by our parents, by our environment, by our exposure to different experiences. I remember way back in my intermediate days, uh, we wore super baggy jeans and shaved our heads except our fringe. And today, that might seem silly, but in today, and our day and age, it's easy to believe that the fulfillment of those good desires to be found by obtaining material things. We start a coveting for something that isn't ours, we begin admiring something that isn't ours. Over time, we may even pine over something that isn't ours. And so we end up with a society of people that desire what we haven't got. Bank balances, brains, wives, husbands, houses, and lifestyles. We are never satisfied we want more. You might say, hold on, Rimmer. You said that not every desire is wrong. It's sounding like coveting is a heinous crime or something. I mean, people should be persecuted for theft or murder, but coveting, what's, what's the big deal, mate? What's wrong with a bit of dreaming or a bit of desiring? History is littered with horrible things that have resulted from covetousness. All throughout history, rulers and nations have coveted land, resources, and wealth that have belonged to others. Today, coveting is somewhat the norm, sadly, and there's a major industry that plays on our tendency to covet, and it's called advertising. 
advertisements seek to manipulate existing desires and even create new ones, a car or a house that we've been content with in the past and then suddenly with an onslaught of advertising, old, shabby and in need of replacement. You see, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The problem with good God-given desires is when we stop looking to God for fulfillment, we start looking elsewhere. The problem with good God-given desires is we stop looking to God for fulfillment, we start looking elsewhere. From our heart comes a desire to be noticed and valued. Rather than finding that in God, we turn to what is explained as conspicuous consumption to fulfill that desire. And see, I want to uh, sh- demonstrate to you uh, that concept of conspicuous consumption. In this hand, I have a phone. And in my other hand, another phone with the exact same function. This one might be perceived, if I own this, that I'm successful, well-liked, or flash, relevant, up-to-date, hip, But if I own this one, even though it has the same function as the phone that I had before, I can be perceived as being a fuddy-duddy, old-fashioned, boring, and out of date. So you see, problems start when people care more about what others think. I must look a certain way. I must address a certain part. Or I must feel love and accepted, keeping up with the Joneses is is what people say. But instead, people should be more focused on being a loved child of God. Martin Luther said it right when he said, our hearts are curved in on themselves. Without God, people are inclined to care about one thing, taking care of numero uno, me, myself, and I. You see, when God made the world, he said, it was good. It was good. It was good. Man and woman were very good. That included their hearts, and God designed the world for us. Adam and Eve lived contently under God's rule. There was no covetousness whatsoever in God's perfect world, until Genesis chapters 2 and 3. God said to them, you can eat from any tree except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then along comes the devil who says, you will be like God if you eat its fruit. Eve listened. She processed and she agreed. She opened her ear gate Then she saw the beautiful tree and its delicious fruit through the eye gate. These two gates led straight to her heart. To want what was not hers to have was sown into Eve's heart. I wonder what's going through your ear gate, what's going through your eye gate this morning. For Adam and Eve, the temptation was too much. They ate and disobeyed God. 
the result of disobedience is that we push God off the throne and plant ourselves on there instead. And we do what we want and make our own decisions. It's important to know without God, we love ourselves more than anything and more than anyone. We love ourselves more than anything and more than anyone. It's exactly what Martin Luther said. Our hearts choose to love ourselves, curving inwards and causing everyone else, including God, to fall into place behind us. This morning, I want to show two important areas our hearts can be unsatisfied in. And the first one is a major, and it's money. We earn more money now than we have ever had. Wages and the standing standard of living go up, and as they rise, and so do our expectations. John D. Rockefeller was asked, how much money does it take for a person to be really satisfied? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Covington today is made easier by available credit. Items you used to have to save for now can be bought in an instant, creating instant debt. Buy now, pay later. Only 52 easy payments. By the way, I don't know what an easy payment is. Nowadays, people are divided into three groups. The haves, the have-nots, and the have-not-paid-for-what-they-have-yet. People, even in vast quantities, will never, money, sorry, money in vast quantities will never satisfy the human heart. Money will never satisfy the human heart. The desire for more and more drives people in a hopeless cycle. Secondly, we can be restless in the recognition of fame. We can also covet lifestyles, and we want to be like other people. Survey says that 70% of all 18 to 24-year-olds define success in the, wealth, in the terms of wealth and career, and that nearly two-thirds of young people feel under pressure to succeed. You know, when I look on face, uh, social media and, you know, I notice their celebrities is, are always looking good. You know, I never see them uh, uh, being mean or arguing with their spouses or children or when they're sick or perhaps they spent the last couple of days um, puking and resting. Instead, we often see celebrities looking their very best and then hanging out with each other or pics on a beach or even partying. In our hearts, we want to be like those guys. We tell ourselves, surely fame, popularity will answer all my deepest needs. Maybe at last I'll get the attention that I desire. Then I will feel important. Then I will feel significant. We can look to fame and to money to fulfill these deep needs we have. But all they really offer is smoke and mirrors, an illusion, a counterfeit. No matter how much fame one might have, it will eventually fail. It will eventually fail and cannot satisfy the human heart. So how do we counteract these tendencies so that we can have and maintain 
a refreshed and pure heart. To counter it, to counter covetousness, we must, number one, beware, watch out, be on guard. Never, never, never underestimate the power and the danger of covetousness. Uh, King David in the Bible was such an awesome man, loved God. He was a man after God's own heart. A mighty man that slayed giants and conquests for the name of the Lord. And at a time where kings were supposed to go into battle, David instead stayed home and gazed upon another man's wife as she was taking a bath. Sin enters his heart through covetousness. That was the tenth commandment. And then that led to the breaking of the seventh. You shall not commit adultery, which led breaking the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. And finally, the ninth. You shall not give a false testimony. Four out of ten commandments broken. Why? Because covetousness is subtle and powerful. So beware, beware, be on guard. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Number two, see through the illusion. Coveting promises, contentment, and fulfillment, but never ever delivers on its promise. Covetousness promises to deliver, but fails and it traps you. It says that if you desire all these things, you will be desired, uh, satisfied. German philosopher Schopenhauer once said, coveting is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we come. Let's work at the understanding that things are temporary. They are not real riches. Point number three, realize that fear feeds covetousness. I believe that one of the most fertile soils for covetousness is fear. We all fear all sorts of things, big and small. Some are real threats and some are not. Research, research shows that the number one worry people have is money. We worry that we don't have enough or we worry about keeping what we do have. We live as if it is all up to us, as if our survival depends on our own efforts. We take our own life into our own hands and in doing so we have taken our life out of his hands. But Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 26, God says, Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink, or about body, what you will wear, it is not, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
We must trust God because He is faithful and true. Things only provide an illusion of security and the reality of it. The most mentioned commandment in the Bible, forget the Ten Commandments for a bit, in the Bible, which is mentioned 370 times, is this. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. 370 times. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. He is not saying this because bad things don't happen. He's not saying do not fear because you won't have anything to fear about. He is saying this because he is God and we can trust him with our lives through the things that bring fear. It's the best news in the world that we can trust God because it's what we need to hear the most. God addressing our fears and telling us we need to be afraid because we can trust him. We can trust him. So let me quickly give you four ways how we can beat covetousness in our lives. Number one, adopt an attitude of gratitude. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Why could Paul rejoice in prison? Because he realized that everything he had was a gift from God. One of the basic attitudes God desires us to have is thanks and praise. Coveting takes the focus away from what we already have to what we don't have and leaves us in a state of discontent. Instead of thinking, I must have this, let's be a people that thinks about what we already have. Coveting makes us long for more. Thankfulness makes us able to see how much we already have. I love this. A man once cried because he had no shoes until he met a man who had no feet. Number two, be a wise steward. What we have is loaned by God, and we are accountable for our use and abuse of his property. Let's check out Luke chapter 12, verses 43 to 48. If the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. And a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and does something wrong will be punished lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. This morning, let me remind you, we are stewards, not owners. Point three, focus on relationships, not things. In the race race for prosperity, people are easily crushed in the rush. Children 
and families can be sacrificed on the altar of overtime. That friends can fall by the wayside of our desires for possessions and power. Coveting, sadly, makes us competitors, not friends, and makes us envious and jealous of each other. We are meant to complete each other, not compete with each other. Proverbs 15, 16, 17 says, Better a little with fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. God calls us to love people and use things. But covetousness causes us to love things and use people. People matter because we are internal and made in his image. Things aren't. And the last point, as I ask, um, Maddie, if you can come up to the stage, please. Lastly, be a giver. If we want to beat coveting, we need to be generous with what we have. In the year 2000, the three richest people in the world together had more wealth than the poorest 47 countries put together. A total of 342 people had more money than half the world's population. Jesus talked a great deal about giving. Why? Because giving is the antidote, antidote to materialism and a cure for covetousness. Acts 30, 30, 20, 35 says, And everything I did... I show that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. C.S. Lewis said, biblical charity is more than merely giving away that which we can afford to do without any way. Church, let's live simply so that others can simply live. And now I want to end with this analogy. And there's a, and in particular with this, there's a specific way to boil a frog. And see, if you drop a, a frog into boiling water, it will jump out straight away. The trick is, you put that frog in room temperature water and slowly bring the water to the boil. That way, the frog can't detect the change in water temperature, even though it gets super hot. Eventually, the frog will be boiled alive. You see, guys, it's the same with covetousness. It's so subtle. Let's be vigilant about what we let into our hearts. Let's combat it with thankfulness. Be a good steward. Be generous and maintain the right relationships. Let's not be people that don't realize what's going on around us and slowly get bored alive in the heat of covetousness.